Hello, my name is Lily Bruner and welcome to my podcast. Today I will be discussing an ethnography written by Daniel Renfrew titled Life Without Lead, Contamination, Crisis, and Hope in Uruguay. In this book, Renfrew discusses the decades of lead contamination that affected the city of Montevideo and the crisis that followed. So I chose this ethnography because the topic sounded like it fit in well with my interests. I have always been really interested in Latin American culture, so learning more about Uruguay sounded like fun to me. I'm also going to be starting nursing school in the fall, so learning about a topic that had a medical aspect to it made me eager to read this book. So the author, Renfrew, graduated with his PhD from Binghamton University and he did his postdoctoral research at Baltimore University as well as the University of West Virginia. Renfrew ultimately did his research for this ethnography through the University of West Virginia. So to start off, I think it is important to discuss what exactly lead poisoning is and how the crisis began. It is impossible to pinpoint the contamination to a single event or company, but rather it happened over the course of many decades and by many different companies. There were not strict laws about the dumping of waste products in Uruguay from the 80s to the early 2000s due to the leadership that was established which at that time was a military dictatorship. There was one company though, called Redesca SA Storage Battery Company, that had been labeled as the contaminator. Although they were not solely responsible, at its peak, the company was dumping one dump truck load of sulfuric acid-laced lead oxide per day along the riverbanks of Miguelete, which is a stream that goes directly through the center of Montevideo. Redesca SA is just one of the examples of the horrible causes of this lead poisoning. So therefore, after decades of dumping waste into the land and water of Montevideo, people in the community were facing the repercussions. People were getting sick. The contamination was identified because of the people in La Teja, which is a neighborhood in Montevideo. A young boy named Joaquin lived in this neighborhood. Joaquin became very sick, and many healthcare professionals were unable to identify what was making him so sick. After countless tests and doctor's visits, Joaquin was found to have high levels of lead in his blood. High levels of lead in the blood will cause many symptoms. Symptoms that are common in adults are renal dysfunction, hypertension, dementia, cardiovascular diseases, reproductive disorders, and even possibly some cancers. What's interesting though is the lead poisoning is not expressed in the same way in children. So in children, symptoms present as abdominal pain, colic, arthralgia, headaches, clumsiness, alterations of consciousness, convulsions, and early encephalopathy. Lead poisoning affects so many of the systems in the body, but the symptoms are easier to identify in children. La Teja and neighboring areas had children and adults presenting with these symptoms. After Joaquin's case was identified in 2001, 
Many followed, which ultimately led to the identification of the crisis. I think understanding the background of lead poisoning and its discovery is really important information to have before getting into other aspects of this lead poisoning incident. Understanding the history and discovery of the crisis really allowed me to better understand the story going forward. I particularly enjoyed learning the details of how lead poisoning affects children and adults differently. As someone who is interested in health and has had experience with the human body through physiology and anatomy courses in school, the medical aspect here really interested me and it really made me understand the horrors of lead poisoning and truly how much damage can be caused to someone's health. So next I wanted to talk a bit about the structure of the government and their response. So after the independence of Uruguay, radical reformist President José Batia y Ordóñez implemented many new policies and they were seen as very progressive for the world at that time. The middle class and economy were thriving and the country was succeeding many ways, which did include a victory in the World Cup. But in the mid-1950s, this political model began to collapse, which led to the takeover of the military dictatorship from 1973 to 1985. This caused a deep social polarization among the people and substantial success of the wealthy, leaving a significant disparity in the wealth distribution between the poor working class and the elites. The economic divide among Uruguayans is what gave opportunity for the lead poisoning origin and intensifying over the decades. To give an example of the economic state, in 2002, unemployment had passed 20% and poverty rates had doubled since 1998. In response to the contamination and work of the social activists, Tabari Vasquez, a well-known socialism supporter and oncologist in La Teja was elected as the mayor of Montevideo. Neoliberalism reform began with work towards a left-leaning government. Plans towards solving the health crisis among the country were initiated and hope was established for the future of La Teja along with the rest of Montevideo. I thought it was really interesting to learn about the history of Uruguay's government and how the structure allowed for the lead poisoning to manifest and cause such harm in different communities. I think that it really shows how the state of the government and economics of the country have such an effect on public health, which made me consider how similar this crisis in Montevideo is similar to things happening in our own backyard, like Flint, Michigan. The Flint water contamination mirrors the crisis in Montevideo in many ways. Flint, Michigan was in millions of dollars of debt, and 45% of the people were living below the poverty line. In efforts to save money, in 2014, the city switched their water source from the system that Detroit was using to the Flint River. For over a century prior to this, though, the river had been used as dumping grounds for waste products, raw sewage, and toxic runoff. After many complaints of the quality of the water and health issues by the citizens of Flint, an investigation ensued with results showing alarmingly high levels of lead. This water contamination led to diseases, and though the city tried to clean the water, there were many carcinogens present. 
This public health crisis was blamed on neglect from the government, and the Michigan Civil Rights Association concluded that the poor response was a result of systemic racism due to the city having a high African-American population. I think this is a really interesting way to relate a crisis that may seem so foreign to something that is happening in the United States to this day. It is clear here how the economy as well as the government structure and response laid the ground for the contamination in a years-long crisis that followed, exactly as in Montevideo's lead contamination crisis in La Teja. So finally, I wanted to talk about the community's response to the crisis. So in response to the destruction of many individuals' health, property, and lifestyles, activists began to speak out about the issue. Many people in the country became very passionate, demanding for reform and action to help the environment and those affected by the crisis. Renfrew worked very closely with many of the activists during his research in Montevideo. Renfrew talks about one activist in particular, Carlo Pilo. Pilo and many other activists were part of a group called the CVSP, which Renfrew worked closely with and eventually became part of the Inner Circle, which helped him learn and participate in the forefront of their activism. For example, in 2005, Renfrew and other activists met with the future mayor of Montevideo. They went on something they called the Toxic Tour. The group traveled through La Teja and got to see firsthand the destruction in the neighborhood. Land and houses were destroyed. Livestock had died and thousands of people were sick. With this sight, activists stood up and cried for help. Although there was a serious crisis at hand, Renford details the hope and sense of community that was created. For example, every year on May Day, there is a walk in solidarity with the meatpacking workers that represents a march of unity and a call for social change. Renfrew speaks in the most positive manner about their passion, traditions, and power within the community of working class citizens. Although there is anguish, there is a community with hope and fervor willing to do anything to protect their own. My favorite part of the story Renfrew tells about the community and their hope is a quote from Pilo. He says in his 2003 May Day speech, We are sick and tired that the barriers of the poorest become garbage dumps, where no roads are ever built or paved, or gutters cleaned. Is it not because of money? For millionaire interests that today, in many parts of our country, our children are contaminated with lead, when and how did this happen? What regulations do the powerful ignore so they can keep spraying their crap around our homes? I think this is an incredibly powerful moment that really shows the fierce passion Pilo and the community has in order to protect their people and their city. I think it's a beautiful way for Renfrew to start wrapping up the book. Their community deserves so much respect for their hard work and attitude during such adversity. Overall, I thought this was a great book. I am really glad that this was my first book as an introduction into ethnographies. I could really tell that Renfrew has such a passion for bringing awareness to this issue 
as well as supporting the people of Uruguay through his words and rhetoric of the writing in the book. I thought Renfrew told the story in an entertaining but very insightful and lovely way. I appreciated how well-rounded his narrative was because Renfrew included ways the lead contamination affected individuals, health, communities, the government, as well as hope and recovery among the people. I would recommend this book to others, specifically those who are wanting to learn more about a different culture or are interested in reading an ethnography. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to me through this podcast and learn about the history of the lead contamination crisis in La Teja and the rest of Montevideo, which is detailed in Life Without Lead by Daniel Renfrew. I really hope you enjoyed learning about it as much as I did. Thank you.